This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. This is Neil McMillan inviting you to join me for Pulse of Politics. I'll be bringing you 30 minutes of interviews, conversation and commentary on issues that matter. That's Pulse of Politics. This week's program continues our recent focus on the September 19 election and the two Dunedin-based electorates. We've dealt so far with the newly named Tyree constituency. And this week we're turning to Dunedin North and the re-emergence of the Opportunities Party, which polled a respectable 2.4% at the last election and is again brimming with ideas. Joining us in the studio is the party's candidate for the seat, Dr Ben Peters, one whose ideas are definitely cutting edge, and so it's a pleasure to speak with him. Welcome, Ben, to the program. Thank you very much, Neil. Ben, can we begin by giving listeners an understanding of your background and the work you do and the things that motivate you, and then we'll consider what's brought you into politics and why the Opportunities Party, and we'll talk about the Opportunities Party itself under the leadership of Jeff Simmons, and uh, we'll discuss the current role of its founder, Gareth Morgan, and how the party is approaching the election, and then we'll consider how all this fits with the Dunedin North campaign, and that frankly gives us a ton of scope. So, firstly, tell us about your own background, I guess all good stories start at the beginning, and I was born here in Dunedin, uh, but I only stayed here for a, a short six weeks before uh, shifting around the country. And so I've uh, from there lived up in uh, Whanganui for a number of years, and then Auckland, and then back down to uh, Lincoln um, in the Sowan District, and then out to Little River on Banks Peninsula, into the centre of Christchurch, and then back down to Dunedin some uh, close to 10 years ago. So Dunedin's been my home for the last 10 years. Uh, my story is, is a, a number of threads in it. Um, I grew up in a Christian household, um, but I also had a, a, an enormous love of science. And there was quite a bit of tension um, there, um, not within my household, but, but in the wider society of that. And so I decided that really I need to investigate things for myself um, and threw myself wholeheartedly at science to see where that would lead, um, keeping my faith as I did so, which is a bit of a surprise to some. Um, but that led me into biochemistry. Um, I always quite liked the sciences at school. Um, and then at university, I picked up biochemistry. I took that through to an honours degree, uh, which I got first class in, uh, and then spent some time as a research scientist and then carried on to do a PhD. I completed that or I submitted mm-hmm. that in 2017 um, and have since been working at the university as a professional practice fellow teaching biochemistry. Um, and that's that's my life outside of politics. Um, alongside that, around about 2017, I got involved in the uh, the Opportunities Party after the last election, and I started writing some policy for them around gene editing. And so that's really been one of my areas, which I think we have a lot of scope to improve in in our, in our legislation, and something I'm very keen to see um, change. Hmm. Why the Opportunities Party? Well. They were probably the only party that were genuinely willing to listen to the evidence, even if it was an uncomfortable conversation. Um, Gene editing or genetic modification has been quite contentious in New Zealand, um, but the scientific community is is very much behind it. And uh, the party really values um, expert opinion um, and they really value seeing that evidence. And so... Um, that drew me to them um, and, and allowed me to um, develop that policy with the help of um, some other very talented individuals. And so we're really proud of, of that policy that we have. Genetic editing. 
is a subject you're familiar with. You might explain that to our listeners. Absolutely. So um, it's it's come a long way. Um, You might remember things like genetically modified organisms or GMOs being talked about um, some years ago. Uh, The technology that was used to do that was quite crass. Um, It involved just uh, somewhat random changes um, without much finesse in terms of getting the outcomes you want. We all we all have DNA in our in our bodies that largely um, is responsible for the way we 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 grow up and look and things like that. Um, there's obviously environmental factors as well that play a huge part, but our genetics play a big big aspect of that. Um, it can lead to disease if we have some genes that aren't working well in plants. It can lead to better yields or poor yields depending on which genetics you have. Um, and so now gene editing is a very refined way of tweaking those genes. Um, it's not putting in new DNA. Uh, we're simply either fixing um, a gene that was broken or we can um, put in a slightly different copy from a very similar um, species. So from, from one apple tree to another apple tree, maybe to make the apple a bit sweeter or to give it better drought resistance, which might be somewhat important given the climate that is changing currently. Terms like genetic modification and genetic engineering, mm. people find scary. Yeah, it's uh, it is. It's 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 scary when when you don't have a good understanding and and when things are very foreign and it sounds like someone else is taking control of your food or someone else is taking control of your medicine. Um, at the heart of our policy is really enabling New Zealand scientists here um, to be able to modify our crops um, to edit them to be appropriate for our soil conditions, to be appropriate for our climate. And so we really want to be equipping Kiwi scientists to be able to do that work. That's um, really important to us. If we if we don't make these changes, then it's quite likely that big international corporations are the ones that will attempt to do that for us, and then that is when we will start to lose control of our own um, food security. You talk about using this in our health system. Hmm. How would you elaborate that? So there's, there's a... Uh, just so many ways in which this can be applied, and it's really exciting. Um, to be honest, you're going to have to stop me if I start rambling too much on this. But um, at the heart of it, a lot of uh, diseases are bits of DNA that are not working the way we would hope they would. Um, so you carry a gene that is not functioning, and that then um, propagates into a disease. With gene editing, it is possible um, to be able to fix that gene that is broken. Um, there's lots of applications. Um, so diabetes would be one where you could get cells producing insulin again if they were not um, able to do that before. Yeah, there's lots of cancer treatments which are looking at um, modifying some immune cells to help fight the cancer. Now, I should say at this point that a lot of this technology is still in the works, but it's really important that we're having conversations about it and that we understand how this technology can be used to really um, address some, some really scary health problems. And where has this been tried uh, all over the world, there are trials going on. Um, not so much in New Zealand, again, part, partly because our legislation is very prohibitive, um, so it makes it very difficult to make these um, advances. And um, we've seen that that issue come up with some of the crops. We will be lovely to try them in New Zealand to see if they can benefit our system. One of those is the um, HME ryegrass, which is so, so jumping back to plant sweet, but it's where I'm slightly more comfortable. Um, <laughs> But that, that had to be tried in America um, because we couldn't get approvals in, in New Zealand to do the trial. And, and from those trials, it looked like it was going to cut our greenhouse gas emissions by about 20% from, from the cows that were eating the grass. So there's lots of room there um, for massive improvements, not just health, or, um, but also in, in terms of carbon emissions. Um, but yes, yeah, so America um, and, and all over the world, around Europe as well, there's been mm. a lot of these trials going on. Ben, can you give us some examples 
of what's actually been done specifically in other areas. Um, so other areas other than health? Uh, the, yeah, so the, for me, the HME Briargrass is a really excellent example. Um, it uses um, some pretty pretty nifty technology to to make the leaves of the ryegrass that bit better for cows, that bit easier to be digested, and that results in the cows producing less methane um, because the, the cows produce methane as they try and break down the very tough leaves, um, and then that uh, the methane obviously goes into the atmosphere. And so by making the leaves slightly easier for the cows to digest um, and provide more energy when they do, um, we're able to reduce the amount of methane that they give off while still keeping the cows um, getting beefier and beefier, which is, which is great. Um, so that's one very, very specific example. Um, the other side of it is in New Zealand it's actually quite difficult to give lots of examples because it's prohibited to actually release these organisms. So you can put in a lot of effort, uh, but then you're not able to get them out into um, where they'll be most useful. And so in a way we need the legislation change before we're able to then um, start doing the field trials to demonstrate just how useful it would be in New Zealand. Mm. Have you had any support from the agriculture sector in this particular area? Um, I've had people that are very pleased that we're talking about it, um, <laughs> uh, but but uh, I think that's probably as far as the support goes in terms of um, there's definitely a, a strong push where we need to start getting into the biotech sector a lot more, um, and we can't keep making more and more demands on farmers to make their farms greener and cleaner without letting them actually access some of this technology. So I, I think our, our farmers play a really important part in New Zealand where we need them, um, and we need them to be able to produce great food, and we also want them to do that in a way that doesn't damage the environment. Um, and for me, that solution is through technology, not, not through continual banning of, of various things. Um, so that's, yes, I, I think there's some definite some support there. Um, I, I think it's important to keep in context that um, most of our, our farming goes by best practices. And if this was allowed, that would definitely be incorporated as a mm. best practice. Well, listeners, we're speaking with Dr. Ben Peters, who's the Opportunities Party candidate for Dunedin North in the forthcoming election. Ben, you've been quoted as saying it's time to put more science into politics. You might elaborate on that too. Absolutely. So uh, for me, science is, is that, that way of understanding what, what is true and what is not um, in the material world. And so it's so important that I think our, our politicians have a good grasp of what actually goes in um, to a scientific study and, and understands especially um, some really core concepts around uncertainty and, and population distributions, which is a lot of big words to say that um, politicians have to deal with uh, really big decisions that affect an awful lot of people, and it's important that they understand the information of which they're making those decisions on. Um, recent decisions in Parliament don't give me confidence that that is the case. We have experts um, all over the place, um, but they aren't always able to accurately communicate to a level that the politicians are mm. understanding. So perhaps it's time that our politicians get slightly closer to where the experts are to make that exchange of information so much quicker and, and more effective. And were you drawn to the Opportunities Party or was the party drawn to you? Oh, definitely a bit of both. Um, I mean, I'd like to tout my fame, but but no, um, mostly I, I approached them. Um, I got very interested when the party was getting uh, rebranded um, after Gareth Morgan left um, and that it seemed like a great opportunity where they were willing to listen to, to the membership and they were willing to um, really just seek out boldly any uh, policy that had a good evidence backing. Um, and so that's that's when I really got into um, to the Opportunities Party and, and developing that gene editing policy. And what prompted you to offer yourself as a candidate? 
Yes, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, I, I do love my current job at the university teaching students. It's incredibly rewarding. Uh, but there's only so long you can, you can do the things that are comfortable um, and uh, that, that sit well with you before you have to actually say, it's not fair for me to have it, have it so well uh, and for so many others to miss out. And, and this is where we get more into TOPS wider policies, which so that, that got me very interested in them. So addressing the housing crisis and, and addressing the stagnant wages we've had so long for so long um, and really applying some excellent thinking into climate change as well. Um, so that, that's why I thought, actually, if I, I can't complain, I, I have to get up and start offering solutions. And so that's why I'm standing. That's, you know, I've got a house, but, but I know so many Kiwis cannot uh, afford a house and that's actually not okay. And so that's why I'm standing. Mm-hmm. Gareth, Gareth Morgan quit the party's leadership back in 2018. Mm. Since when the deputy leader, or the then deputy leader, Jeff Simmons has taken over, we spoke to Gareth on our program before the last election. What's his role within the party now? Absolutely nothing. Uh, he has no money behind it. Uh, he has absolutely no say in it. Um, so Gareth has um, completely uh, and utterly left the party. Um, and so now it is entirely um, a, a different party in that sense. Um, we still have some of his policies, and that's probably about as much connection as we remain with uh, with Gareth. Mm. You, uh, Top will be contesting what seats this election? Uh, quite a few. I think we have uh-huh. about um, 15 candidates at the moment. Um, so we have Dunedin, um, uh, the southern uh, seat as well. We've got a candidate stepping up out there, um, Joel. Uh, then uh, in Nelson and Christchurch, we have another couple candidates. We have quite a few in Auckland um, and around in the Wellington area as well, and in Hamilton. So, kind of up and down the country, we have quite a number of seats that are, are being that people have, have have seen what I've seen that it's not okay that we have these mm-hmm. great inequalities, and that it'd be good to have a little bit more evidence behind the policy we make, um, and they're willing to stand up. And so, it's really quite heartwarming. Yeah, and the areas in which you got most support last election. Uh, Dedeen was definitely a, a pretty strong area, but Ohario was um, one of the um, definite um, strongholds for top. Um, so Jessica Hammond up, up in Ohario did an excellent job. Um, she's contesting Peter Dunn's old seat, um, and, and that's one of the avenues in which we think we might be able to break in um, through the electoral system. Um, is that if she secures that seat, that would be one avenue. And the other avenue, of course, is to reach that 5% threshold, or if I win my seat here in Dunedin. Critical things. Uh, membership of the party. Mm. How strong is that? Well, it's obviously and sufficient to be registered. Yes, yes. Um, so we're fully registered. Our membership um, has been growing, um, I think, quite steadily since 2017 um, as we kind of uh, I think Gareth was quite a divisive figure and a number of people felt uncomfortable with him in the party. And since his leaving, we've had a, quite a few people willing to come back into the fold and um, stand by the party again. So it's been really quite uh, warming to see that our party numbers are growing and that our, our, our reach is growing as well. Yeah, Gareth Morgan uh, bankrolled the party to a large degree mm. in 2017. With him not there, what's the funding position like now? I mean, this is very expensive yes. to run campaigns. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, steady but thin is probably how I would describe our financial st- situation. It's 
uh, we're, we're financially secure, uh, but we don't have a lot of cash to throw around. Um, we're entirely supported by members' donations, as far as I'm aware at the moment, um, and they're averaging about $25 per member um, or, or per donation. And so um, really we're, we're funded by, from a, a genuine grassroots movement. Um, there's no big money backing us, which also helps us to have some incredibly bold policy because we don't care if we piss off some rich people. Um, mm-hmm. That's fine. Um, we just want to make sure we have a genuine um, equitable society, and that's, um, that's really our driving goal there. Mm. Bold policies. Tell us about some of the policies. Top will be advancing this election. Yes, so probably our boldest will be a universal basic income where we want to give uh, every uh, New Zealander from uh, age 18 up um, $250 per week, no strings attached. Um, And to pay for that, obviously, you can't just say, hey, here's free money, uh, but we'll raise the um, tax rate to be a flat tax of 33%. So um, the way that that works out is for anyone who's just on a wage, um, they'll be better off no matter what tax bracket they're sitting in. So, um, but obviously, the lower the tax bracket, the better off you are with that $13,000 coming into your back pocket. Um, so for someone who's um, just at working um, at about a $50,000 a year job, um, they'll end up being thousands of dollars better off by our tax policy. And then we'll also bring in an asset tax on housing, um, housing and property. Um, this is in part to raise the money for the universal basic income, but also to broaden that tax base. Um, and so the, the tax works on an RFRM system, um, which is kind of technical tax jargon for we want to make sure that you're paying as much money um, or as much tax as you would if that money that's sitting in your house was actually in the bank. If the money's in the bank, mm. you would gain 3 maybe 4%, maybe not quite as much now, uh, but in interest on that each year. And then on that money that you made on the interest, you would pay a little bit of tax. That's how it currently works. If you take that money and put it in a house, you suddenly don't pay any tax, but you get even bigger gains. So it's really important for us that we have a fair system of taxation. Um, and so we think by putting in that asset tax that they will A, help, help balance the UBI, but also mm. will help the housing problem by incentivizing people to inv- invest in businesses rather than in housing. That's not dissimilar from what the Green Party announced a week ago. There are some really core differences here. Um, and partly it's because ours is a minimum tax. So if your business is already paying tax, you're not going to pay more tax with us. If you're um, any asset that's productive, um, that's already paying tax at a rate that's equal to or greater than what our asset tax would be, you're not going to pay more tax under that. And that's really important because we need our businesses to be productive and we need people to be incentivized and to invest into our businesses to keep our economy going. If we just put in a straight wealth tax, um, all it does is incentivize people to take their money out of New Zealand and pop it overseas. And so it's really, really important for us that we, we keep that money here in New Zealand so we have a really growing uh, business sector and we can support innovation as well. And so by balancing out where you get taxed. So it's kind of exactly the same if you get taxed on on a house or a business. People, when they have some spare money and they're looking at what to do with it, can go, actually, I think it would be much better for New Zealand and makes no financial difference to me to start putting this into a business and we can see some better innovation coming out of New Zealand. Mm. And other priority policies so housing, I think, yeah, is housing. Well. Yes, yep. um, housing. So part of that's the asset tax, but we also need to um, kind of put a stop on that giant urban sprawl. Um, and so we want to see an urban development act uh, written to help uh, better have moderate density housing, um, so we can have these fifteen-minute cities. Dunedin's actually pretty close. It took me fifteen minutes to walk here, um, but a lot of cities it, you can't um, find anything that you need within fifteen minutes of your house, and that is just really detrimental to any kind of productivity. You waste so much 
much time on commuting and you waste so much time um, just trying to run any kind of errand. And so we want to see um, a little bit more build-up in cities and we want to make sure that we can have an adequate housing stock. And so we want to address housing, uh, universal basic income obviously, which we've covered, and then also putting the environment front and centre. And, and my ethos to that is definitely a technology-driven one, but we also want to make sure that whoever is actually doing the polluting is, is fronting up for the cost of that clean-up. Um, so we have a polluter pays type policy around our pollution to help us achieve um, a cleaner and greener New Zealand. Mm. Elaborate on this, the polluter pays. Yeah, so effectively you just need a way to make sure that if you're producing something that's very toxic or if you're the one that's actually putting the, um, the effluent into the river or if you're the one that is dumping lots and lots of waste, that, that you are fronting up for the actual genuine cost of that. Um, so if you're... For example, I think I think plastics are a great area where we could look at um, the cost of disposal of plastics is not taken into account in the cost of producing them. And so people think that plastic is a very cheap uh, way of doing things. Um, when we take into account the cost of actually uh, recycling that or, or properly reusing that, um, then that may make it a bit more expensive. And that helps incentivize um, better options that, that can be um, sold out. Uh, in offering yourself for Canada to see why to need North and not Tyree, uh, to, to what extent do you see the university as a, a source of voter support? Well, uh, primarily it's because it's where I live um, and where I have lived for the last decade. Um, so, or, or thereabouts, actually. So I've been in Dunedin for about uh, nine years, I think. Um, so it, it's where I live. That's why I chose Dunedin North, um, or Dunedin as it's now called, um, as the electorate. Um, and I think the university um, will definitely be um, – I think my, my workplace has been very supportive of me um, standing up and, and, and trying to get that a bit more science representation. Um, and hopefully anyone who sees the way forward is through innovation rather than banning in terms of having a cleaner economy um, will hopefully also um, um, come on board. And anyone who wants to see a fairer New Zealand um, and a fairer tax system as well, we hope that they'll also uh, jump on board. Fair to ask, what sort of campaign will you be running? One full of enthusiasm. Uh, <laughs> no, a, a, a campaign um, a, a campaign approach at the moment is just really trying to raise the profile, make sure people are aware of us, they, they know us, and I'm trying to make myself as available as possible so people can find me on Facebook at, at uh, Ben Peters Top. If you do a little search there, you should find me. You can send me an email, um, deneen.candidate at uh, top.org.nz. Um, any of those ways, I'm happy to reach out and meet with people. Um, really, I think it's quite important that they can get to know me um, and get to know our policies, and, and that's how I hope that once mm. they've seen that, they might um, might just come around. This week's resignation of David Clark as Minister of Health, do you see that as uh, harming his prospects and improving yours, particularly since the other main contender is national was Michael Woodhouse? Yes, I think it's it's a very interesting development. I think it's unfortunate that he wasn't quite up to the, the task. Um, I don't think anyone really planned on a pandemic, but when it happens, you certainly have to be ready, um, and that wasn't quite the case uh, for David Clark. I, I don't know. I, 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 I'm denied as to whether it actually helps or harms his prospects because I think he was not very popular as a health minister, but now that he's not a health minister, people might be more comfortable with him. But ultimately, I think they just have to, the voters, that is, have to look at his track record and ask if that's 
who they want to support Dunedin um, or to be the face of Dunedin or if they want to have someone else. And I don't know whether Michael Woodhouse has done any favours for himself either in his handling of um, information over the last uh, wee while. So I think it's really up to Dunedin voters who they want to be their face in Parliament. Mm. And finally, Ben, as well as voting in September for members of Parliament, we'll be voting in two referenda one on voluntary euthanasia, and the other on the recreational use of cannabis. Where do you stand on those two issues? Sure, I'll take the second one first on on the use of marijuana there. Um, Personally, it's not something I partake on, but it is... uh, the, the laws around it have been used to unequally um, punish, uh, particularly Māori and Pacifica. Um, and also we know that post about the age of 18, the harms of actually smoking it are very low or consuming it. Um, and in countries where we have legalised, we haven't seen increased usage within the youth. And so those those pieces of evidence taken together mean that I will be voting yes on, on the cannabis referendum. Um, with the euthanasia referendum, it's, it's, for me it's a lot trickier. Um, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. Um, and fortunately, TOP has a quite an interesting um, policy around how to deal with some interesting moral uh, questions where we would like to see a citizen's jury um, convened. So uh, referendums are good. They give everybody a chance to vote, but not everybody has a chance to research and, and really get a, a full fact base on that. And so we want to um, convene a citizen's jury so that we can ensure that informed voters are then the ones who make that decision rather than a couple of uh, stuffy old politicians. Ben Peters. Thanks so much. It's been good to have you on the program and as with all candidates, we wish you well in the forthcoming election. Thanks thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. And that is Dr Ben Peters, Opportunities Party candidate for the Dunedin North constituency in the forthcoming election on September 19th. And that's our program for the week. And this is Neil McMillan closing with a reminder, you can catch Pulse of Politics at the same time every week on air, online or on podcast. You've been listening to Pulse of Politics, broadcast every Sunday evening at 8 o'clock on Otago Access Radio. If you'd like to hear this program again, you can download a podcast from oar.org.nz. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.